today, both on the Sunshine Coast and in Melbourne, we have the wonderful privilege of having Pastor Lucas Connell sharing the word. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Pastor Lucas is, he is a wonderful man of God. He is anointed. He is a fantastic preacher. He's running a church called Celebrate Church on the Gold Coast, uh, leading the charge down there. And uh, Pastor Lucas is a church fave. He, every time he comes, he blesses people. So on the Sunshine Coast and in Melbourne East, come on, let's give a big cheer and welcome to Pastor Lucas Connell. Excellent. Come on, let's give Jesus a big shout of praise. He's so good. So good. Hey, why don't you lift your hands in Melbourne, uh, Sunshine Coast. Just lift your hands to heaven. Father, we just thank you, God, that you are an amazing, powerful God. And Father, we just declare from the outset that you're going to do miracles, both in Melbourne and here. You're going to do miracles, Father, that depression is going to fall to the ground, that anxiety is going to go, that freedom is going to come, that salvation is going to be birthed in hearts. Father, we just thank you in advance for every good thing that you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Awesome. You can grab your seats. Uh, thanks so much. Let's give the team a massive hand here on the sunny coast. Uh, Hello to everyone in Melbourne, Pastors Dan and Pastor Ebony. Great to see all of you guys. Uh, I'm actually originally from Melbourne, uh, and uh, I won't tell you what football team I barrack for. Let's just say Pastor John does not like me very much. He likes my preaching, but not my football team, okay? But I am a winner. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm just, anyway. And so that's rule number one in preaching. You should never do that, because I barrack for the team that everyone hates. Um, and now basically three quarters of the Melbourne campus have walked out. Um, please come back, I promise, it'll be worth it. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I did, I grew up in Melbourne and, you know, ended up on a whole heap of drugs. Uh, had drug-induced psychosis, hearing voices, television speaking to me. Had a lady that prayed for me. Uh, I love the testimony we just heard because prayer changes things. Had a lady that prayed for me for 17 years. And after 17 years, God turned up in my lounge room, healed my mind, set me free of drugs. Come on, can we give God praise in this place? And uh, I've been married uh, 22 years uh, on Friday, 22 years. And uh, my wife is preaching at our church uh, in about half an hour, uh, Celebrate Church on the Gold Coast. I've got two beautiful boys, they're now 18 and 17. Uh, but you know, one of the things, I used to live here on the Sunshine Coast, and this first story happened here on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, but one of the things when my boys were little that I, I used to love was a thing called the, what I call the dad anointing. And, and so the dad anointing is something that only comes upon dads. And you will allow your children to do things that a mum would never let them do, okay? They're, they're normally dirty, uh, dangerous, uh, life-threatening, but also a whole heap of fun. And so it was way back, because I can't remember what year it was, but when we had the Brisbane floods. And remember, it rained for an entire month of January. And my boys were like five and six, or maybe four and five. And, you know, two little boys, four and five, cooped up in the house for 30 days uh, equals angry parents, okay? And, and, and so it was pouring with rain, and I felt the dad anointed come upon me. And I waited for my wife to leave the room, 
and I quickly signaled to my boys, let's go into that muddy field next door and in the pouring rain and let's play rugby. And I know I should have got them out of their brand new Christmas clothes first, but, but a dad anointing doesn't see the details, just the fun that could be had. And don't tell him I told you this, but my youngest, he's the one that cries the easiest, okay? Actually, not anymore. He's now bigger than the oldest, but it used to be like that. And that's because, you know, that, that whole second-born thing. Uh, you've, if you're a second-born, you've been tormented. Uh, we're going to have an altar call for you at the end. Uh, if you're a middle child, I'm sorry, there's not much hope. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But... Uh, He's the one that cries the easiest, and he was about four years old, and the ball uh, was nearly bigger than him, okay? And, and so he's running toward the try line, and there's this like six feet of this thick mud patch before the try line. And, and so he's running, and I'm kind of way over here, and I think to myself, if I run as hard as I can, I could tackle him. We will slide through the mud patch together, across the try line, and in my mind, create an incredible father-son memory that we'll remember for many years to come. And so this little boy with the ball's nearly bigger than him and way over here about 110 kilograms, I, I know I need to lose weight, 110 kilograms of uncoordinated mass. And, and, and I ran and I, I, I timed it to perfection. I hit him, I hit him hard. We, we literally slid together for that six seat through the mud patch. The only problem was his head was face down. The entire six feet. That's when he got up and he threw the ball in anger and that, that's when you need the mum anointing, when the dad anointing goes horribly wrong, which does happen quite consistently. But before he threw the ball and ran off to mum, I remember looking into his eyes and you couldn't see the whites of his eyes because they were covered in mud. It's at that moment that I got this thought, remember this is very deep, okay, and it's this thought that having mud in your eyes does not help you to be able to see. Deep, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Having mud in your eyes does not help you to be able to see, uh, unless, of course, Jesus is involved. Uh, I wonder if you've ever thought about the very unusual story where Jesus chooses to heal a blind guy, but the way that he does it is he literally spits into the dirt. He makes a mud spit pie. He rubs it on a man's eyes, tells him to wash it off in a pool called Salome, and the man is healed. Could you imagine if I, this morning, said, Pastor Teresa, I just need a little bucket of dirt. And, and, and with that little bucket of dirt, I stood in front of you and I went, <laughs> and I spat into the, and I grabbed the little gooey mud spit pie and I said, church, even in Melbourne, let me tell you, there's healing in this place right now. And, and, and you know, even if I was the blind guy, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to wait for the next evangelist. The, the, the guy that will just put his hands on my head and say, Be, I'm waiting for Andy Kabbalah, you know. Like, and, and, but that's actually what Jesus did. And it's very unusual, but I believe there's a significant reason why Jesus did that. I want to unpack it today. You know, before we read the text in John 9, 6 to 8, there's a, a conversation happening. And if you will, it's a question that maybe many of us asked about our own lives. Uh, they're asking about this blind guy. The disciples are saying, well, why him? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. Well, why my marriage? Why our business? Why my child? Why, why, why my body that was diagnosed? Why me? And it's a fair question to ask. And, and, and so they're asking why him. And one disciple says, well, I think it's his parents that were just terrible people. 
and God gave them a blind child, and of course that's not true. And, and then someone else says, well, no, I think it's him. And, and, and that's even stupider in a sense because he was born blind, so he hadn't done anything wrong. So I don't know what they were thinking about that. And then Jesus jumps in. He says, well, actually, his blindness was to bring my Father in heaven glory. And we'll come back to that in a moment. And then we get to verse uh, 6 to 8 in John 9. And it says this. It is, have we got that scripture up? It says, after saying this, which is just the conversation that we, uh, we just discussed, uh, after saying this, he spit on the ground. Uh, the Aussie Bible says he hocked up a loogie. Uh, he, he made some mud with the saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Uh, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same guy that, that used to beg? And so it's this unusual story, but I believe that there is incredible revelation within this that, that relates to us. See, you've got to understand the context of why Jesus is asking, uh, doing this unusual thing. It's in the context of them asking a fair question, why? Why was he born blind? And forgive me for saying, but it was like Jesus gave kind of like the Spiro answer. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it was so that God would receive glory. We don't know how old the blind guy is, but let's say he's 35. Well, that's great, Jesus, but he had to be the blind guy for 35 years for this one moment for you. It's kind of the spiritual answer, right? And I believe that when Jesus done this unusual thing, he's giving us the practical reason as to why this man was born blind. Right. See, he, he reaches down into the clay, which is deliberate. And in the, the, the New Testament's written in Greek, the, the Greek word for clay is palos. It simply means clay or mud. It's only used one other time in the entire New Testament in the book of Romans where God through Paul says, it's my right to make whatever I want out of each piece of palos, each piece of clay. Some I will use for common purposes, some for noble. And so right there, God is calling uh, humans clay. He's calling us mud. And the reason he's doing that is because in Genesis, not written in Greek, but in Hebrew, God Remember when he first made us, he stooped down to the ground and he took the clay, he took the mud and he breathed his breath into the mud and Adam was formed. And so in a sense, Adam is part mud, part mud man, part breath of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was the mud, the human part of who they were that became contaminated by sin. And that's why all of us, we can love God with all our hearts, but we have this battle that wages and goes on because I have this mud, this human part of who I am that's contaminated by sin and often wants to go the wrong way. But I also have the breath of God that's living inside of me that's holy and powerful and eternal. And there's this war that wages between the two. And so when Jesus puts the mud on the man's eyes, he's simply answering the question practically, the reason why he's really blind is it's simply the mud. And the mud was contaminated by sin. And because the mud was contaminated by sin, sometimes people are just born blind. But here's the thing that we can all end up exactly like the blind man, where we are unable to see 
the great things that God has for our life because we're looking through the mud. We're looking through the contaminated mud that stops us from seeing. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's the mud of a major disappointment that's stopping you from seeing the great things that God has for your life. Maybe it's the mud of insecurity, anxiety, and fear, and it's stopping you from seeing the amazing things that God has for your life. Maybe it's the mud of depression or some kind of addiction or sin that you found yourself in and you're unable to see because you're looking through the mud. The reality is all of us, including myself, struggle with the mud, with our humanity. And if you think that you don't, then just give me five minutes with your spouse and we'll come up with a pretty good list of the mud that you're struggling with. See, but I want you to put this together. Remember Jesus said his mud, his, his sickness was to bring the Father glory. Then he takes us deeper and says, well, the reason he's blind is because the mud's contaminated. But if you put those two things together, we all have weakness. And the devil wants you to feel like you are condemned because of your weakness. The devil wants to make you feel like you're disqualified because of your weakness, that you'll never make it because of your weakness. But I want to put to you today that actually the mud you struggle with is the greatest asset you have to bring the Father glory. It's not your perfection and your strength that brings him glory, but actually the weakness. See, the very fact that I was a drug addict, that I was messed up, that I did have mental illness, is the greatest asset I have to bring the Father glory because he turned around and he turned the mud into something beautiful, something amazing. Someone needs to hear this say, I don't care how many times you've failed. I'm here to tell you that that failure, that weakness, is the thing that God wants to use so that he would get the glory. We heard an amazing testimony today. And what was the testimony? There was a whole heap of mud that was going on. The humanity was out of control, but God stepped in and now he got glory because of the mud. We just simply have to learn to deal with the mud. And Jesus gives this guy three things to do with the mud. The first one is in verse seven. He says, go wash in a pool called Siloam. And that word, it means sent or sent one. And really it's quite funny because the the sent one is a picture of Christ who was the one that was sent. Jesus was sent. The thing that you've got to also understand about Jesus is like you and I, he was fully man. He was a mud man as well in a sense. Yet, of course, he was also fully God, but he was fully man. Yet he was the only one that perfected the mud. He was the only one that never bowed down to the sinful nature of the mud. He overcame sinful nature and humanity. And so Jesus is a picture of a mud man that perfected the mud. And Siloam represents Christ, the one that was sent. And so Jesus says to this blind man, he puts mud on his eyes, symbolic of his struggle, of his weakness, of the area he needs God to move. And he says, now take your humanity that's flawed and take it to the one that perfected humanity, the one that overcame humanity. Take it to the one that was sent. And my first point is this, is go, if you're going to deal with your humanity that we all have, go, point number one, go with intent to the one that was sent. And the reason I say intent, because it's about the way that you go that determines what you receive. 
See, this, this, this Jewish, young Jewish man, when Jesus said go to Siloam, even though his wife may have been an incredible, uh, sorry, his auntie might have been an incredible Jewish cook, he didn't stop off at a house for some food. When he got a sense that healing was at Siloam, don't nobody talk to me, don't get in my way, I'm on my way to Siloam, I'm going to the one that was sent, I'm going with intent to receive a miracle. Parents will relate to this. I remember when my boys were little, and, and it was awesome because it was, it, it was a miracle you were going to be on time to church. And, and then you look down to the ground and you're like, but, but where's your shoes? I've told you a hundred times to put your shoes on. And you say, right, mister, you have two minutes to be in that car with your shoes on. You go sit in the car and you wait, and one minute feels like three minutes. Two minutes feels like six minutes. Three minutes feels like nine minutes. Now I'm angry in my heart and I'm going to need three praise songs just to deal with my anger. But because I'm angry, I've now had a fight with my wife in the car. Now I need three songs and the communion message just to deal with my heart. Eventually you get out the car and you walk in and you're like, and you find him and, and, and he found a Lego house that wasn't finished. And he had to finish. He doesn't care. There's no intent. I remember that same kid when he was about seven years old. We took him and four of his mates to Dreamworld for his birthday. And it was a miracle because he woke us up. He was already dressed. He had packed his bag. He had made his own lunch. He's like, come on, Dad, let's go to Dreamworld. But what I want to say to you, it's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. Stop pretending you don't have humanity. Own the fact that there's some mud you're dealing with, but get some intent about saying, I'm going to take this thing to the one that was sent. He took it to the one that was sent. See, it's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. The second thing is, is once he got to Siloam, number, point number two is, is he simply had to wash the mud off. See, Ephesians says that we are cleansed by the washing of the Word. Again, stop pretending that you don't have any mud. Just go with intent to the one that overcame the mud. But once you get to Christ, see, really, this is a message about a devotional life. It's about the way that you come to church. Once you get there, reach down into the waters of Christ, the Word of God, and start applying it to the mud that's stopping you from seeing, and you'll be able to see. Just a bit of an embarrassing story. When I first got married, uh, let's just say there were some issues, and part of that, well, let's just say I wasn't the most hygienic young man. And the problem with that was that I married a germaphobe. And we would go to the cinemas, and I'd touch the escalator rail, and she would nearly start to manifest demons, you know, like... <laughs> Do you know how many millions of germs? And then I'd touch her face. And, and, uh, we needed quite a bit of counselling in the beginning. And, and I was a youth pastor at a time, but I wasn't really being paid for that. And, and so I was a window cleaner. I'd go wash windows at, uh, you know, shopping centres and all that kind of thing. And, 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 and I had this thing, this is the embarrassing part, that whenever I'd wash my hands, I wouldn't use soap. And she would watch me do it, and she's like, like seriously, just like pump the soap. Like, and, I, and I had this thing, I'm like, no, no, you don't need soap, you just need running water. And she's like, that's stupid. And we're both a little stubborn. For about three or four years, every now and again, we'd end up at the sink together, 
And she had watched me and she's like, seriously, please, just pump the soap. I'm like, you don't need soap, you just need running water. And as I'd go and, you know, do my windows and that, I'd put a bit of morning fresh in. I'd put some cloudy ammonia to stop the streaks. I'd, you know, wash up the window, get my squeegee going, make it real nice and clean. And after about four years, I think God was sick of my stupidity. So he gave her some wisdom and revelation just to annihilate me. And so we're at the sink and I don't pump the soap. I go, no, you don't need soap. You just need running water. She goes, okay then. When you go and do your windows tomorrow... Don't use any soap. What would happen then? And I went, it, it, it wouldn't work. She says, I know. And it doesn't work on your hands either. <laughs> Ever since that moment, I've been set free, delivered. I now use soap. You'll be happy afterwards when we shake hands. <laughs> See, what's the point of the story if you don't use soap? you end up with dirty hands. Stop getting hung up on the fact that we live in a dirty world and we have a sinful nature. Start getting hung up on the fact that he's provided the soap. Stop pretending that there's no humanity that you're wrestling with and just start to live a daily life where you say, yep, I've got some humanity, so you know what? I need to keep going with intent to the one that was sent and I need to reach down to the waters of the living Word of God and just keep applying and applying and applying. Just if the musos could come in both campuses. You know, really, like I said, this is a, a, a message around a devotional life. But see, here's the thing you need to understand is you don't need a devotional life with God to change the way He sees you. The Bible says that regardless of what you did yesterday, when He looks at you, He sees holy and blameless because He looks through the blood of Jesus. I don't need to spend time with God to change the way He sees me. I need to spend time with God to change the way that I see Him. Because I've got this mud that's contaminated and it so easily ends up with a skewed view of who he really is. I, I, I need a devotional life to change the way I see me. Because every now and again I do something stupid that skews the way I see myself and the belief about myself. And I just need to align again so that I see myself in the way that God sees me. I, I need a devotional life to change the way I see you. Because again, I've got this mud, we all do, that's contaminated. You know, I remember, I remember when this, this message really kind of helped me. And I think I, I kind of touched on this story on Friday night. But, you know, I had this incredible opportunity. I was an itinerant minister for nine years. Since now we've planted a church. But I'd go all around the world. And, and when we first started, that was a massive step of faith. And there was a big moment where I got to preach at Planet Shakers Church, one of the key churches in our nation. And, and from there, things really started to change. But when I first preached at Planet Shakers Church, I, I, after it, I got overcome with insecurity, with fear. I, I, in, in such a powerful, demonic way, I started to feel like I did not belong on those platforms. And the reason for that is, if you know, I know he's been here, he's a friend of the house, Pastor Russell Evans. If you know their story, his dad, who now is the late Pastor Andrew Evans, 
He took a denomination from about 100 churches to 1,000 churches. At one time, he had the biggest church in Adelaide. He, he, he's, uh, Pastor Russell's grandfather was planting churches at the age of 80 years old. Missionaries. His brother has done things all over the world. It's this iconic ministry family. And as I spent the weekend there, nothing to do with what they did wrong, but because of my own mud and insecurity, I started to deeply feel like I did not belong in those circles on those platforms. In other words, there was some mud that was stopping me from seeing the destiny that God had for my life. The reason why I felt like that really is because of the mud, the, the, the humans, the humanity that I came from. On my dad's side, my dad's mum, a beautiful lady, but at two years old, she was orphaned. She was raised by her auntie, who was the madam at the local brothel. My nan, as she got older and even in her married life, was promiscuous, and you don't have to be Einstein to piece together what happens to a little girl that's raised in a brothel. My dad's dad on that side was abusive and would literally fight, uh, make my dad and his brothers fight until someone could no longer stand up. There are occasions when my dad has a few too many drinks and he'll start to talk about his childhood and much of it I couldn't even repeat on this stage because of the horrific things that he went through that his dad put him through. And again, it's no wonder that my dad has used alcohol and drug, even at 70-something years old, is still struggling in those areas because he's simply medicating the pain of his childhood. On my mum's side, again, my mum's mum, a beautiful lady, but was sexually abused by her own father, molested her as a little girl. She also married a man who was abusive, mainly verbally, was an alcoholic, suffered with depression, and that's the mud that my mum came from. And to make it worse, when my mum was young, she was raped by three teenage boys when she was 11 years old. Of all of my mum's brothers and sisters and dads, there were seven in each side. Nobody went to university. Nobody succeeded in a massive way. And the reality is that's the mud that I've come from. And I started to get sucked into my contaminated sinful nature and feel like, well, I'm just like all of them and I don't belong on those platforms and I don't belong in that kind of destiny. And I was just reading the Word of God that I'd read in so many times where it says in Genesis, in other words, I was bringing my mud that was stopping me from seeing to the one that was sent and I was reaching down into the waters of Christ. And as I was reaching down, I read a scripture that says that, that you were created in my image, in my likeness you were formed. And as soon as I read those words, they jumped off the page. And Holy Spirit spoke to me and He said, Lucas, that might be the immediate mud that you came from, but let me tell you about the original place you came from. You were created in my image. I'd already formed you before you were even born. You, you are made in my likeness. You can go wherever I call you to go and stand wherever I call you to stand. And literally I had a moment where the mud washed from the ground. I don't know what it is for you, 
But what mud's stopping you from seeing the great things that God has for your life? The last, really quickly, the last point is this. Tonight, if you're on the sunny coast, I'm going to really pray for people again tonight. And I just know God's going to, we're going to go for some stuff tonight. But, but really quickly, the last point is this. Why does God want you to live this kind of life? And the answer is found in verse 8, where they said once he got his miracle, they said, isn't this the same guy that used to sit and beg? And the reason why God wants you to live this kind of devotional life is not because he's a tyrannical God that says, you better spend time with me. No, he's a loving father. But the reason he wants you to live like this is so that number three, you'll stop living like a beggar. See, because here's the thing. If you don't deal with that addiction that no one else knows about, let me tell you, God will still love you exactly the same. And you'll go to heaven. But you'll live on this earth like a beggar. If you don't deal with that insecurity, that fear that's gripping you, God will love you exactly the same. Nothing will change, but you will live like a beggar. If you don't deal with that unforgiveness that's made you angry on the inside, that's, that, that's distorting how you see, God will still love you, but you'll live like a beggar. If you don't deal with that religious, that poverty mindset, God will still love you, but you'll live like a beggar. And I'm here to tell you today that you are not on this planet to live like a beggar. You are on this planet to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath, to be a more than a conqueror, to be an overcomer, to be an example to this world, to live in freedom and dominion and power and victory, to have the marriage that other people covet, to see your children raise and be all that God's called them to be, to have a bank balance that, that, that exceeds every limitation and I, I just want everyone to stand in their feet in Melbourne as well and I just want to give you an opportunity right now and, and I just feel like when I was praying this morning that both in Melbourne I'm going to hand over in just a moment but not just yet but both in Melbourne and here I want you to picture something for a moment because I just felt like God told me that there would be a power for freedom. And, and what I want you to picture, and I'll pray and all that kind of stuff, but more than that, I don't want you to come to me. I don't want you to just come in a sense to the people that are going to be praying in Melbourne. I want you to, to literally in your mind's eye and heart to think of this altar, the altar in Melbourne. To, to, to literally be Salome. It's a picture of the one that was sent. It's a picture of the one that has already overcome the struggle that you need overcome. And, and so I don't want you to just walk out kind of even as a victim in a sense saying, well, I'm so, no, no. I want you to walk out in just a moment saying, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of this mud and we've all got it that's stopping me from seeing the great things that God has for my life. It might be an addiction, it might be anxiety, it might be a mindset, but I'm gonna right now, I'm not just walking to the altar, I'm taking this mud to the one that was sent. And when I leave the altar, I'll be leaving without the anxiety. I'll be leaving without the addiction. I'll be leaving without the depression. I'll be leaving 
change and transform. So right now, whether you're in Melbourne, whether you're here on the Sunshine Coast, if you know that God is speaking to you about some mud, that you're ready to just lay down, and I want you to just come right now and make your way to the front. Come on, just come right now. Come right to the front so there's room. God's going to do some work. In Melbourne, just come right to the front. Come right to the front. Come right to the front. And we're gonna, I'm going to say goodbye to all the people in Melbourne and, and the guys there are going to pray and minister and, and freedom's going to come. God bless you all. But right now here on the Sunshine Coast, just keep coming. Just keep coming if that's you. Come on, you're bringing some mud. Come on, you're bringing some mud right now. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, we thank you. We thank you. Holy Ghost, come on, just keep coming. There's people still coming. Holy Ghost, we thank you right now. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You, we worship you, we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. I'm going to just pray a few general things and then I'm going to ask the team to just lay hands on all these amazing people. But, but just one thing I feel, uh, and, and if you're at the front, and it might not be every person, but right now, is if you're struggling with fear, anxiety, uh, and, and even insecurity, I want you to lift your hands right now, because I feel like there's a grace right now. Hey, oh, Holy Ghost, I take authority over the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus Christ. And I, I rebuke you, the Lord rebuke that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare, there it is, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ, spirit of fear, you are done in the name of Jesus. You are done in the name of Jesus. Spirit of fear, I command that you leave in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you to fall. 